This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. So I'm here in the confessional corner over by the washer and dryer. I gotta say, it's, it's so hard being the star of this podcast between my fans stalking me and Richie chasing me around with another script it takes me at least three cups of raspberry tang and half a Snickers bar just to make it through the trivia yeah, but I, I did I did get some good news today I, I reviewed the retirement plan OG's helping me with and looks like old Doug's just rolling in the dough as long as I drop dead by 61, you know, that's perfect. That works out for me. That's good. So I've always got that comfort. Time to go make the donuts. I'm out of here. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm only here to wish a big, happy 39th birthday to Kim Kardashian. Still waiting on her to send me my invite to the party. You know, oh, it might be my spam folder. I'll check that. But more on that later, because what could possibly be more interesting than talking about superstars who make bajillions from reality TV shows? Well, for one, how about the looming retirement crisis? Today, we'll sit down with the mind behind the 2013 Broken Eggs documentary, Chad Parks. What's changed since he released this acclaimed film six years ago? Speaking of retirement, TIAA has a new study out about retirement and lifetime income. We'll share the surprising results before we throw out the Haven Lifeline to Trent, who's worried about becoming over-leveraged as he buys rentals. What should he do? Of course... 
These guys have an opinion. They always have an opinion. And <laughs> never doubt, my dear friend. I'll still carve out time for some of my trivia just for you. And now, two guys who would blow their family fortunes on board games and jet fuel. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. I think that should be past tense. Already blew the family fortune on board games. But right. Did, yeah. 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 You've got lots of jet fuel, though, in your future. Yeah. Uh, as it was pointed out to me the other day, we don't actually use jet fuel, as that's a different thing. It's more of a saltier mix. Like, that's how I, t- I, I taste test it before I go. Good. Make sure that it's uh, flavored correctly. It's blue. So it's like kind of blue raspberry. No wonder you're always whacked out. <laughs> that's the gas that I use. It's the blue <laughs> raspberry flavored gas in the airplane. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Try This at Home Kids podcast. I'm Joe Selsey. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me for another Monday, it's my good friend OG. It's hard to believe it's Monday. You and I, on a Sunday night, went and got some steaks. That was fun. We went on Sunday night to get steak. Okay. (laughs) I was just with you last night. I see. Yes. And we went and got some steaks. it was last night, which was Sunday night. Understood. I get it now. I'm putting it together. Holy God. Dude. Also, one bottle of red wine. We did. Yes. Yes. But that doesn't delicious. mean we're not showing up for today's show because we've got Chad Park here. They had, remember, this feels like yesterday. They had that broken egg film so six years ago. Remember the broken eggs documentary? Yes, I do. It's been six years wow. since that thing happened. He's uh, upstairs talking to mom, going to talk about what's changed in six years. That's going to be a quick interview. <laughs> Not not much. He actually does have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of data and some good stories for us here at a time that we generally call Indian summer in Michigan or harvest time. Harvest time, maybe. Everything's so cold here, so it feels like the harvest should have been done about six months ago. Maybe. Well, you know what? You don't. Six to- months ago, there was still a foot of snow on the ground. So, <laughs> you know, you probably don't have to be an expert in that area if you want to invest in farmland. Because AcreTrader can take care of that. Big thanks to AcreTrader for supporting Stacking Benjamins. For more information on how to become a farmland investor, not a farmer, but a farmland investor through AcreTrader, visit acretrader.com forward slash SB. Thanks also to Magnify Money, our longest running sponsor, for hanging out with us. Because they're awesome. Yes. You go to Magnify Money, you know what you find out? You find out that 92% of all those financial products out there compared and contrasted very easily and efficiently at Magnify Money. So instead of just going to your brick and mortar bank, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. Great show. Chad Park is here today, but we got some headlines first, so let's get moving. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our Monday producer, Richie, found this one for us. This is pretty good. This comes to us from Investment News. SoFi... Never heard of them. Refunds investors for tax it caused by proprietary ETFs. Hmm? SoFi is kind of new to the proprietary ETF game. And uh, I think they had just a... But they're loving every second of it. Oh, it's it's a fun place to be right now, isn't it, SoFi? Uh, this is written by Ryan W. Neal. Ryan writes, when investors incurred capital gains taxes because Social Finance Inc., replace Vanguard funds with their own proprietary ETFs in some portfolios managed by its robo-advisor. The company defended the move as a regular change relating to client investment objectives and risk tolerance. Let's go through this. You took out Vanguard stuff. You put in your own stuff. 
Vanguard, both of which were index products, widely regarded as, if not the cheapest, always among the cheapest stuff, and an index, SoFi said, our own proprietary stuff, probably a better fit. Our index is going to be better than their index. The company maintains the moves were made to improve portfolios and clients' long-term best interest, but now SoFi's refunding money that clients may have lost. In an email, SoFi notified users that they will see a credit in their automated investing accounts to cover the capital gains taxes they may have incurred as a, as a result of the April changes. Quote, in keeping with our commitments to put your interest first and to help you get your money right, we decided to take this action and attempt to put you in the same tax position you would have been in had we not made the change, the email said. According to Mika Hotman, a financial services counsel at the Consumer Federation of America, this case looks like the actions the Securities and Exchange Commission has brought against advisory firms for improper share classes. Firms that failed to properly disclose conflicts had to rebate extra costs borne by investors, Mr. Hotman said. I think that letter should also say, also on advice of counsel, to, <laughs> but, so as to not have to go through litigation. We're incredibly grateful. Well, this is really funny. I mean, when you look at asset allocation and investing and things like that, there's not a profound difference between, you know, the BlackRock S&P 500, you know, S, uh, iShares or the Spider S&P 500 or the Vanguard S&P 500. And if that part of your portfolio is doing what it's supposed to do, you don't have to swap one for the other. Robo-advisors don't know that. They just go, does not fit, must do, again, beep, boop, bop, and bam, you have a capital gains problem. I, I, th- I think they all make that noise, too. It's, it's like... Uh, it's part of the, part of the process. <laughs> have you seen... Uh, have you seen that video of the Texas Law Hawk? Maybe we'll talk about the uh, Texas Law Hawk commercial a little bit later about robo stuff. I think is pretty funny. But this is where one of the reasons where like a real person looking at your stuff makes more sense. I want to also address the bigger case here, though, which is we saw Wealthfront do this, made their own proprietary thing because apparently they weren't making enough money. SoFi has Vanguard funds inside of their stuff. I would guess they're probably not making enough money. And so they make yeah. their own proprietary thing. I mean, I'm not... Which is funny now because all of that trading is a, is cheap. So you know, the, you know the sales pitch that's coming to advisors right now? The sales pitch is, you don't even need an ETF. Make your own S&P 500 fund with client money for zero cost. I mean, that's really interesting. There's no trading. There's right. no trading fees at all. So why wouldn't you do that? I mean, look, look Notwithstanding at- the 72-page statement. Well, as an example, just our friends over at Emperor Investments, right. their ETF has been that. Even when it wasn't free for you and I, I'm sure they had some sort of a deal that they did. But basically, I mean, talking to Brenna and Francis, the co-founders over there, take the S&P 500, choose the pieces that actually match, right? Match your investment objective, get rid of the rest. It's just indexing with a little twist. Yep. Yeah. By the way, another another marker in my mind, of what we've been talking about for a long time, that, quote, active investing isn't dead. It is just changing. I think the pros are going to just tweak that index a little bit, which is active, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In our second headline, a new study out from TIAA shows, shock of shocks, Americans not that confident about their ability to retire. Uh, Some stats from the study that I found interesting, only 27% of Americans are, quote, very confident about their ability to maintain financial stability in retirement. 27% of people. 
I don't know if that's just not having enough money. I think part of it is too, is we spend so much time talking about putting enough money away. I think that when you get close, deciding like which tree to pick from also decreases confidence. Do you think that's true? I think that has a lot to do with it. The location of the money, the how much money, certainly every single solitary news article about political or or social or financial on unrest makes you worried as you get closer to retirement because everybody everybody thinks about retirement as this one-time thing, the end of something. Like I'm going to retire and that's a verb that is an action that happens one time. And so everything culminates in this at 65 on my birthday, boom, everything must be perfectly aligned. When of course in reality, when we talk about it from a planning standpoint, Yeah, there's stuff that happens at 65, but there's stuff that happens at 66 and 86 and 96. And so we have to be aware of what's going on in all those areas and plan for those. But we're also thinking 10 years down the line and 20 years down the line. Longer term, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the factors detracting most from people's financial confidence, these are things that could happen in retirement that that makes people worried. 54% of people said a major expense they're not expecting comes out of the blue. Mm -hmm. By the way, equally 54%, a major medical expense specifically, like people really worried about that. 53% significant cuts to social security and Medicare. They worry that that might happen. You're shaking your head. Not so much. I don't, I don't, I, I would spend very little energy on worrying about that, especially the closer you are to retirement. You know, again, just got to think about it from a political standpoint. The vast majority of people that vote are over the age of 50. The vast majority of senators and Congress people are over the age of 50. I thought you were going to say the vast majority of Congress people want to get reelected. Also that. <laughs> so the likelihood of them radically altering Social Security for people that are getting close to it is pretty, pretty remote. I do think that something's got to happen for younger folks, but you could do that. You could just draw a line in the sand and say, okay, everybody under 30, this is the new deal. You see companies do that all the time. Last week, we talked about GE's pension. They went, okay, from here to here, this is what we're doing. From this tranche of people, we're doing this. And for this tranche of people, you got to do your own thing or whatever. And the funny thing is you look at that statistically, other studies we've seen in the past show, millennials by and large think that's coming anyway. Right. So it seems to me to be the easy move. I can't believe it's, it's political because as soon yeah. as as soon as the guy or gal goes, "Hey, I've got a solution for Social Security," you want to cut it? Then the the next picture is Grandma getting pushed off the cliff in a wheelchair. Yes, even though Grandma's twenty six years old and doesn't care, <laughs> it doesn't even <laughs> doesn't even give a crap. Yeah. Also, I think the way that Social Security is funded largely relies on the younger generation continuing to work and fund it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's a little bit difficult to, to also, but. If you're about to retire, don't worry about Social Security. A few others on here, 45% worry about a major stock market decline. That's fair. Uh, yeah. Well, if, if you needed all of your money in the next two years, that would be an issue. Well, we've also talked about, though, have your investment policy set up ahead of time so that you don't have to worry. So, right. I mean, worry about it and create a plan now while things are great mm-hmm. so you're not panicking like the people I read. 80% of the people will. In every, in every Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Very, very funny stuff. Uh, and, and and only funny. Not really funny. I feel kind of sad when I read people panicking in an online forum. Yeah. I don't know what to do. The stock market is only up 18% for the year. Yes. Oh, my God. And Earl in Peoria. Freaking Earl. Always, has a, always has a suggestion. Well, here's what I think. You got to buy Iraqi dinars. <laughs> 
<laughs> they never go down in value. I I remember after that was the, a thing. Oh yeah, after the after the invasion, yeah. when the currency there was a lot of speculation that currency was coming back, so people were buying tons of it. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yes. Turns out it didn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, a forty four percent major increase in inflation could happen. Yeah. Thirty six percent your children or stepchildren end up needing support from you. That has Sandwich been a, generation. has been a problem yep. for a lot of people. But that's a little self inflicted, right? Oh sure. I mean you can go, yeah, sorry, no money for mom and dad. Go you know blaze your own trail. Easy to say, so difficult to do in real life. I feel like I could pull that off in my oh, life no, no, no. easily. I'm not saying for OG. I'm saying for the average person. <laughs> like like our conversation about when I was at dinner with you the other day and you're like, hey how come you're not staying at my house? And I'm like, because I don't like staying at your house. <laughs> You're like, wow, that was a little, that was a little direct. I'm like, yeah, and, no. it, and it was so funny. It was you, me, and Doug sitting there, yeah. and he was even taken aback. Yeah, Doug, yeah. a very little it smells brain. Weird it was here. like, whoa, hey, smells yeah. smells like in the basement. Smells like Teen Spirit, cat urine, or Teen Spirit. <laughs> is that what that smell is? <laughs> Never to be a a financial bird. Talk to Bob about the cat urine yeah. thing. That's a big one. Being worried about being a burden to other people. You know, so you said two ends of that stick. One is how do I help my kids or grandkids or stepkids or whatever if they need it? Or what do I, how do I tell them no? But I also don't want to be a burden to them because you kind of look at the timeline of, you know, where people end up. It's like, well, right at the time when mom and dad are going to need financial help, it's right at the time when Junior is about ready to retire himself and he's got kids getting ready to go to college. It's like this you know, never ending cycle. And, and so I can, I can understand why they would be concerned about that. They talk about mitigating uh, all the uncertainty that save more money. People who build a long-term plan are at least two times as likely to feel confident. Yep. That's not shocking. Makes sense. Saving two and five site saving regularly is a means of boosting financial confidence. So the more you save, the more confident you feel also obvious investing people who rate their investment skills as high feel three times as likely to express confidence in being financially secure. And also, of course, it wouldn't be a, uh, it wouldn't be a TIA study without saying that people have a pension or people that have built their own pension also feel much more, much more comfortable. Yeah. When you've got your regular lifestyle expenses, your, your must haves taken care of every single month. I mean, that's what financial independence is. That's what we talk about. We talk about the fire movement, right? It's like, how do I get my, my minimum expenses covered from my money so that I don't have to worry about that anymore? And when you get that piece of it covered, I think you've feel a lot more comfortable. Good stuff here. We'll link to this in the, in our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. In just a second, OG and I'll have our takeaways but one takeaway I've had for a long time is that your brick and mortar bank, not the place you want to go to when you're diving into the financial products you use every day. Maybe you find that your bank has a checking account that has fees or some silly loopholes and rules. You see that quite often, especially with some of the bigger banks or savings accounts that don't pay anything or loan options that aren't nearly competitive or have exorbitant fees. Well, instead of looking at just one place and then one other place and then another, what if you went to a place that curated a bunch of different places? In other words, 92% of all the stuff online, Magnify Money looks at, whether it's savings accounts, 
checking accounts, different credit card options, low interest credit cards, 0% transfer cards, or reward cards. They're all ranked at Magnify Money. Or if you're someone with student loan debt and you need to refinance it, they've got you covered there. And everything from consolidation loans to an award-winning blog, which is run by our friend Mandy Woodruff and company. Mandy, Brian, and the whole team at Magnify Money do a fantastic job of staying on track of things so that you know when you head to magnifymoney.com, you're looking at an objective resource that will always show you the best in class. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. So I think our takeaways here, number one, investing, saving, thinking long-term, build your confidence, figuring out where your lifetime income is going to come from also builds confidence and thinking thinking that your customers might have a lawsuit brewing. Pay them off early. <laughs> early and often. Well, Chad Parks is not only the guy who is behind the acclaimed documentary from 2013, uh, Broken Eggs. We did a huge spot on Broken Eggs when the movie came out and actually talked to Chad and his partners a few times after that about some of the impact that movie had. We'll also, by the way, link to those episodes. You want to go back and listen to them on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. But he's also the CEO and founder of the first online and flat fee retirement service for small businesses. I'm sure with all the changes around small businesses and so many not offering uh, offering retirement plans, OG, I will bet that he thinks that it should be easier. But you know what's funny? I don't disagree with him. It should be easier for small businesses to help people save. I love this idea, though. And we invited him on because I wanted to talk about it's been six years since this movie came out. Has anything changed? What has changed? Where does he see the ball headed? Very few people we can talk to who know more about this situation, the retirement crisis, than Chad Parks, who's on his way down to the basement right now. And it's been a long time since we've talked to this guy. Look at him. Looking good. Mr. Chad Parks is here. How are you, man? Hey, Joe, man. Thanks. Good to see you. Thanks for having me back. Well, good to see you. Can not Can you believe it's been six years since your film was released? No, I absolutely cannot. I remember us talking about Broken Eggs last time, and we thought we were really on to something with letting the world know that we have this looming retirement crisis and please watch the film and change your behavior. And most unfortunately, not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't give away the spoiler before we talk for 15 minutes about okay, this. Okay. Well, well, but let's do this to start off with. I want to play the trailer for the film, just so people kind of catch up here on what you and I are about to talk about. And they all lived happily ever after. Happily ever after. What a crock. I don't know how I will retire, but I intend to one day. Sweetheart, there is nothing under the bed. Here it is, the monster. Okay, 20 years from now, I will be 62. I will be... $32,184 in debt. 
I think a good retirement for the American public is pretty much a fairy tale at this point. Every day we have 10,000 baby boomers reaching retirement, collecting their Social Security benefits. Social Security is bankrupt. <gasps> what? Young people have come to wonder what would be their lot when they came to old age. Social Security got going without anybody thinking about who's going to pay the bills. Retirement should be a three-legged stool. There should be some personal savings, a pension, and the guarantee of Social Security. It's like we don't even really know what that looks like. There's this three-legged stool, Chad, that you guys talk about in the film, and all three legs were broken six years ago. I want to ask you questions about all three Uh, Let's start off with the last six years with Social Security and government programs. Has anything really changed there in the last six years? No. In fact, if anything, I think they might have gotten a little worse because they haven't changed. So let's reference that three-legged stool that we bring up here. The first leg is a pension plan. Remember, grandma and grandpa used to have pensions, and they were really happy about that. You worked for a company for life. You get a guaranteed payment for life. It was a good deal. Uh, Social Security was the, the second leg, which was really not meant to be a primary savings tool. It was mostly designed to be a safety net for orphans and widows and disabled people who didn't have the ability to work. And then in the 80s, it switched to the focus being on your personal savings, i.e. 401ks and IRAs. So what has not changed in the last six years with Social Security, we reported in the film that, hey, if there's no changes by 2034, there will be a 24% reduction in benefits. Six years later, if you look at the Social Security Administrator's report, that's basically saying the same thing. No changes were made. There were no changes to the contribution limits. There were no changes to the payout limits. There were no changes to the tax that you're going to be paying on it. And Congress has literally, and if you remember in the film, kicked the can down the road. And that was one of our subcontexts of the film. Yeah. I guess what that means is there's got to be some massive change then coming soon, I would think. Yeah, the data still is about the same, that magic number 2033, 2034. You're going to see a 25% more or less reduction in benefits unless something changes. That is a hard bookend that we're pushing against. The math doesn't lie. 2034 is coming soon, 15 years, if you think about that. When we talked about this last time, it was 21 years, right? It doesn't really feel like six years has gone by, but it has. 15 years is not a long time. That number of having a problem is probably only going to get bigger if no changes are made because we have the time. We have 15 years to still make adjustments. If you say you wait till 10, those adjustments are going to be harder. If you wait till five years out, those adjustments are going to be harder. If there's no political will to do that today, why do you think there's going to be more later? Do you think uh, change is going to come on the Social Security front, on the Medicare front, or on both? Well, you know, I guess this 2020 election is very interesting uh, when you hear some of the leading candidates talk about Medicare for all, right? So that's that's a completely different animal, which I would have to imagine if they are successful, they would absolutely start looking at the U.S. retirement system. Uh, I think it would take a decade plus before any meaningful change would occur, but that would probably set the country up on a better trajectory in the long run. You know, I, I'm the first one to say and admit that our current saving system is not the best it can be. It is what we have and we make it the best it can be, but to literally expect every average person to become a savings investment expert and someone who knows what their magic numbers need to be and to plan for their 30 years of their career and say, oh, and good luck, pick well on those investments. That's why the pensions were so popular. And give me a second here on this because the you asked if anything's changed and the pensions have only gotten worse too. And I think since we're very timely here, 
just weeks ago, you probably saw the news that General Electric is freezing its pension for its 20,000 employees. It's all we've been talking about. Yeah. I mean, so they're getting out of the business just like General Motors is trying to get out of the business, just like Boeing and everybody else tries to get out of the pension business. I don't blame them, right? It's a huge liability, a huge running liability to a company. But these are promises that were made that need to be fulfilled. And not to belabor this point, but this is not just at the corporate level. So we can't point the finger at big, bad corporations. Government is just as guilty about this. The state of Illinois' pension plan is on the verge of bankruptcy. Rhode Island had to make cuts. Stockton, California had to make cuts. Remember that reference? That's right. Yeah. You spend a lot of time on that on the film. I'm wondering if, though, you're seeing the annuity companies trying to really clean up some of the bad actors out there, right? Because as you probably know, Chad, if you say what a pension is, if you say lifetime income, Mm -hmm. people go, yeah, I want that. Then you say the word annuity, people go, oh, God, no, please, 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 no. Do you think that we're going to see more changes coming there then? Yes. Most recently over the summer, there has been a little bit of progress. I will contradict myself from earlier, <laughs> um, but it hasn't been, it's not done yet. So this summer, you probably have heard about and read about the SECURE Act, which passed the House with an overwhelming majority, 418 to 4. And that was this summer in 2019. So you can imagine in an era where it's complete political partisanship that they actually would come together and look at making the U.S. retirement system better, doing some housekeeping on some of the nuances, part of which was really contemplating how do we get lifetime income into these retirement plans. So yes, in essence, lifetime income is the problem that needs to be solved for everybody. The real challenge is how, right? So pensions, obviously, you're not going to do it. Government's not going to do it. Yes, the insurance companies are a little bit salivating about this. They're going to say, hey, we'll step up. And we'll offer you lifetime income. Yeah. My only concern with that is at what cost, right? right? Because the duties are probably the most complex things to calculate. What am I paying in commission? What am I paying in fees? What implicit return am I guaranteed? You know, it's almost an impossibility. And I can guarantee you the insurance companies, rightfully so, are stacking in their favor because they're the ones taking on the longevity risk. But I think that a lot of people, though, are very wary of that now. I mean, just that word annuity conveys so much uh frustration and hatred among a lot of a lot of investors it's like the, you know, I, I don't know i don't know if it's just about renaming it but getting rid of no. some of the bad actors in that area seems to be important too no you're right i mean there's the thing that people must remember is that insurance companies can and do go out of business and the ious that they promised you may not be fulfilled right so what you're doing is you're putting your personal risk on the shoulders of a private insurance or a public insurance company and if they don't act properly, as you're alluding to, and in the best interest of their clients and being around for 50 years, then yes, there could be potential problems there. So, you know, I'm I'm going, if you don't mind, can I share a um, sort of my strategy on how to best handle lifetime income and annuities? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So as you guys might remember, you know, I used to be a certified financial planner. I was a registered investment advisor. I was back way back. I was a retail stockbroker, which I, I learned my ropes. Okay. That's all I'll say. <laughs> But I've grown and changed and morphed, and now I'm a champion for retirement savings in America. So my strategy here, and this, you know, others may agree or disagree with this, but instead of buying an annuity when you are 60 or 65 or 67, what I'm trying to explain to people about planning is plan to run out of money at 80 years old, bookend yourself at 80. But then throughout your retirement years, make sure you buy what, and I'm not sure what the exact proper term is. They're called different things from different providers, but basically a deferred income annuity. So that means that if you hit 80 years old and you're still here, they'll start paying you your annuity. And the cost factor in that is so much lower than if you're trying to buy a full lifetime income annuity at 65. 
and you know, and maybe even pick 85. You know, so what you're doing is you're you're sharing some of the risk with the insurance company. And as doing that, they're going to reward you with guaranteed income from age 80 or 85 until the end of your days at a much lower cost to you immediately. Yeah. So you're fighting that uh, longevity risk specifically Mm -hmm. that all certified financial planners, Chad, as you know very well, that's what financial planners are really worried about that I feel like the average person isn't worried about enough. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's only so many levers you can pull in doing your calculations on financial planning. And one of those is what age am I planning against? (laughs) You know, because I got to know, otherwise my math's not going to work. And nobody knows, you know, you, I mean, yeah, we can go off of actuarial tables. We can make assumptions, but you know, my own grandmother lived to 98 years old. I was just talking to a guy the other day whose parents are, he made it to 108. I mean, we're talking about, and I think the other dynamic here, and you brought up Medicare earlier is one of the biggest risks that no one has really understood how to manage is that longevity risk across all platforms when people are not working longer or are working longer and what's the math due out when also we have all these major improvements in healthcare that are affecting that and the healthcare industry and the financial services industry need to start working more together to say, yes, it's great that people are living longer, but the rest of our societal infrastructure has not been designed to keep up with that. What are we actually going to do? I was at a conference at MIT recently on this whole thing. And it's funny when you've got minds as big as the people at MIT working on that issue, getting those people working together, you know that this is a this is a huge concern mm. for all of us. But let's switch gears and let's go to that third leg, which is the savings leg, because as you know very well, the Secure Act also kind of tried to address this personal savings. They are rightfully so. You know, there's been an evolution about trying to normalize the personal retirement savings. So IRAs have always been around, and they're. They are good, but they're not great in the sense that they have lower savings limits, lower tax advantages today. So in comes the 401k. But with all the rules and regulations and oversight and all the different nuances that can occur over the years, there's been a a sort of a disjointed approach to having the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. And so Secure Act is first and foremost, it's like a housekeeping bill. They're trying to take everything that was like a little bit broken and fix it and say, okay, let's, let's clean it up and let's put it all back together. So it's cohesive. But the point in which they're really trying to make is by increasing the tax incentive that will now be available, potentially, if it passes the House and the White House signs it, potentially increasing the tax incentive to get small businesses to finally step up and sponsor a small business retirement plan. Currently, the tax credit is $500 a year for the first three years that a small business puts a plan in place. It's modest. you know, It's not a lot. Compare that to what my fees are. You know, we we charge about on average. You know, we, you can get an entry level four hundred one k from us for seventy five dollars a month. Okay, so that's nine hundred bucks. So the tax credit is going to pay for more than half, and that's again, that's entry level doesn't fit everybody. But the point is, what Secure Act is doing is saying we need to really incentivize these businesses. So let's raise that tax credit up to five thousand dollars a year for the first three years. But they changed the math: two hundred fifty dollars per eligible employee, not to exceed five thousand. Oh, so, gotcha. So if you're a 10-person company, you got 2500 available to you. If you're a 20-person company, you got 5000 And if you're bigger than 20, you still have 5000 So for me, that's fantastic. You know, Because look at the... I already shared with you my price dynamics. You will get a free 401k for at least the first three years. And if you talk to me nicely, I'll even give you the next three years free if, you, if I could charge you what the tax credit is. <laughs> right, right. Well, and it's interesting because, I mean, our average listener, Chad, does not understand the difference between a tax deduction and a tax credit. Mm-hmm. Like, like a tax deduction will lower your income. A credit 
pays your tax dollar for dollar. So a tax credit truly is that amount of money back in your pocket. That's right. Yeah. So if you have a $25,000 tax bill, a $5,000 credit, you only write the check for 20. Yeah. You know, even at $500, you say that's nominal. That still is a lot more money than what people would normally expect to have. Do you agree then completely with with the Secure Act and where they go? Because it seems like it seems like there are you know there's a lot of back and forth. I remember there was a uh, New York Times article recently that you might have read saying that saying some kind of disparaging stuff about the Secure Act. Well, being a housekeeping bill that it is, and what I mean by that is housekeeping or kitchen sink bill. You know, it's whatever you want to call it. Like basically, they threw in about twenty nine to thirty different things that they yes, to yeah, yeah. I remember when it first came out, I was very busy with the media. We had done our homework, we'd read other analysis, and we came up with summaries of talking points. And it was almost impossible for me to explain it all. You really had to understand which audience does this affect, and is it a good thing or a bad thing? And so, yeah, to be fair, there are some things in there that are not necessarily fixing it completely. But I can tell you that this is the first major legislation which has addressed this issue in probably 10 or 15 years. So it it may be not correctly perfect, but we'll take it. That's funny. I think we align there. My my feeling is directionally yes, specifically no. Right, <laughs> but, yeah. but but I'd rather have something that's mostly, you know, going the right way than do nothing where we're at today. Oh yeah, I mean, as we already said at the beginning here, nothing's changed in the last 6 years and we're not in a better spot uh now than we were back then. But yes, directionally speaking, should this continue to go through the Senate and and be signed into law? This is definitely a good foundation to build off for, for the next the next wave here. Now, obviously, your business is focused on small business. A lot of what we just talked about is small business. This seems to me, Chad, to be a major issue in America is just access to a retirement plan, right? I mean, do you have numbers around what percentage of Americans are actually have access to a 401k or a, a retirement plan at work? It is. It's access, and we call that the coverage gap. The data is frightening. When you think about Fortune 500 companies, you would think that, hey, they're going to have a retirement plan for their employees. And 99.4% of the time, you're right. You know, Believe it or not, there are still a few who are, they hold out and don't want to do it. But when you move down the spectrum of as you get to smaller and smaller businesses, and we'll draw the line at 100 employees and below, and depending on where you get the source of data, but more or less, about 67% of businesses under 100 employees offer no workplace savings in our country. Wow. And if you drill that down to the two to 20 space, it's about 90%. Wow. And, and when you look at the distribution curve of where are most of the employees, they're in that one, under 100 number, you know, because small businesses make up the backbone of America, right? And so the average is about 50% of the American workforce don't have the ability to save at work. The reason you have to ask why, and this is actually when I sat in my living room in my apartment in San Francisco 20 years ago, when I conceptualized this business was answering that question, Why? Why don't they have access to retirement plans? And it has traditionally been because the financial services industry has all been driven on an asset under management business model, and they need you to save a lot of money or have a lot of money so that they can generate enough revenue to be able to pay their bills and their distribution and service you. And the economics just never worked. And so in 1999, when the internet was coming along, I I started the online 401k. I flipped the business model upside down. And I simply said, what if you pay me a monthly subscription fee? I don't care if you have a dollar or a million dollars. I'll just pay me monthly to take care of all this stuff for you. And that's what fine. And the internet was coming along to be the great equalizer of the distribution problem. And here we are. I will say the other things that weren't aligned back then too, was the technology wasn't there yet. You know, yeah, just because we have this thing called the internet 
just because you can go and log in doesn't mean there's actually systems that are efficient, that are uh, cost effective, that are um, scalable, that are secure, that would be available. So, I mean, say it this way, but I think I was a little bit ahead of the curve. <laughs> right. Well, I think you were too. Yeah. I, I thought so even six years ago, you were ahead of the curve. Yeah. So I'm happy to say, though, I think we're finally at the point where the public knowledge is there. The government will is there. The technology is there. And when I say government will, this is something we haven't talked about because it's all relatively new. But there are now, you probably know this, five states that are have a mandate in place that says if you're a business in this state over the next X number of years, you're going to have to raise your hand and choose a retirement plan provider. So that tide is turning. I'll use California as an example. It's already in place, the law. It will decline in terms of the number of businesses who are affected over the next meeting. It, right now, it's 1,000 and above employees. Next year, it's 100 and below. And then it's 15 and below, and then it's down to five, right? So by in three more years, if you're a business in California with five or more employees, they have a law that says you must pick a retirement plan provider. Either go with the state-run program or go with a private provider. Some people argue that that's too big brotherish. But, you know, I like to remind everybody, we already have a mandated retirement saving system. It's that, called Social Security. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, this was exactly my next program is, is just because it sounds like you're for this doesn't mean you're for more government before I get a bunch of emails from people saying mm-hmm. that Chad Parks is, is a big government lover. <laughs> no. In fact, I built technology and we built this solution so that government doesn't interfere with that and provide, make you go into a platform, which is not good for you. And I don't want to disparage the provider who the state of California is working with, but those who don't know enough about this, they stop short and the government program that they've built with this provider, their business model is right back to that basis points. And it's a hundred basis points. Oh. And in today's world, a hundred basis points doesn't fly for anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, at the same time, when you've got all these uh, companies right now, and this is not retirement plan, this is an apple and an orange, but, mm-hmm. but, but you've got everybody else racing to zero when it comes to trading cost, a hundred basis point fee, fairly large for not much. That's right. I think our marketing message is going to be, do you want to get your retirement plan from the DMV? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty good. Let's get away from a second on that, yeah, I'm, I, I'm really sweating here. It's really hot in this basement. I know. <laughs> well, well, I want to ask. I want to ask one more question, which is, you know, we talked about the Secure Act. We talked about different rules. You talk about state mandated programs, Chad. One argument I've heard a lot: we're not really saving anyway. Like people aren't using the programs that we have today. I know you looked into this a ton with the movie. You're a guy who's right on top of this stuff. You've, I know you've heard that before. We're not using the programs we need to. We have today. Building some more programs, what is that going to do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've heard of Myra. Where did that go? Oh, yeah, right, right. That's what, what? we need, another retirement plan. No, that's and that's a great point you're making, Joe, because I think it's not so much is there, are there incentives, is there infrastructure, are there companies, are there platforms that can help us all do this? There are. And I hate to say it this way, but I think it really has a lot to do with human behavior. You know, we are programmed and raised in a marketing and sales-driven society where we want to buy, 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 consume, and get immediate gratification. There is unfortunately not a lot of sexiness in immediately reducing your take-home pay so that in the future, you might have something. You know, <laughs> you want to go out and, and have a happy hour. You don't want to think about it when you're 65. And it's not, it's not. And the other part of this is us having to, now the way we are today, we expect the average person to be a saving investment expert and someone who can, like I said, do the math and figure out what they need. I had to go to grad school to become a certified financial planner. 
And that's really unfortunate that we don't have a better societal approach to this. So you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, the DBization, the defined benefitization of retirement savings plans. If I'm to be a purist and pretend like I'm not in this business, if you were to ask me, what is the best approach? It is doing it for people. It is just taking care of them all the way through. And, but unfortunately, not many institutions are willing to do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, my last question is this. Somebody listening to you and I talk here for the last 20 minutes, what should their big takeaway be right now? What should they do with it? You know, I think after having done the film, we came to the realization, well, is, I'm going <laughs> to contradict exactly what I just said, because, <laughs> because that ship has sailed. There aren't, you're not going to go get a job with a pension plan. You right, know, you're not going right. to get a job. I mean, oh, let's think about the gig economy too. Everything's moving in that direction. So this is going to support my answer. And that is that, you know, you have to come to the realization that it is not up to the government to provide for your retirement. It is not up to your employer to provide for your retirement. Like it or not, it is up to you. And so you need to equip yourself with education and tools and platform and vehicles that you can then trust and utilize to get you on that path. And it's an unfortunate but harsh reality. And I have a feeling that we're going to leave a lot of people behind. Me too, sadly. I want to talk just briefly about uh, the work that you do at Ubiquity Retirement and Savings. Tell us a little bit about what you do there, Chad, the great work you guys do, and uh, how people find you. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. So, yes, we are now called Ubiquity Retirement and Savings, formerly the online 401k. So we took a, a page out of Prince's Playbook, right? 1999. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, and we rebranded because we do more than just 401ks today. So, and Ubiquity meaning we want to be ubiquitous. We want to be everywhere. We want to be there for you. So there's a lot of tongue in cheek in our name, but the website is myubiquity.com, M-Y-U-B-I-Q-U-I-T-Y.com, or as I like to say it, myubiquity.com. Oh, that's much better. Much better. <laughs> Ubiquity, because I want to retire. <laughs> uh, and what we do is we are a turnkey platform specializing in small businesses and individuals. Uh, we are the good guys. We're fully transparent. We're flat fee for service. You know, I've been at this for 20 years. So if this is not a sign of my commitment to it, I don't know what is. Yeah. Chad Parks, man. Great talking to you again. Thanks so much for stopping by the basement. I'm so sad that we're not reporting better news that so much has happened after your awesome film. Thank you. I am too. We are contemplating the sequel, Broken Eggs 2.0, the ticking time bomb in the pensions in our country. So, Oh, I thought it was going to be like <laughs> Pension Strike Back or something. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll have to take a, play, a playbook out of uh, <laughs> right. George Lucas's stuff there. But yeah, Joe, thanks for having me again. And um, let's not let it be six years again, because I, I really want to have better news to report. What's up, trivia cheese bags? I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to my trivia segment. Now that those guys solved the looming retirement crisis. What? They didn't solve it? What the f***? What good are they if they can't? Oh, my God. All right, fine. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll turn this ship around. How about this? You know, in my uh, other life as a hand model and a business coach, I tell my client, and now I'm telling you, networking is paramount. So is delegation, which is why I let these two other guys talk in between my amazing segments. But as it turns out, while I may be the king of the mic, I am not quite the final word in influencing. I know, pick your jaw up off the table. That honor goes to the family called the Kardashians. 
But which of that uber-successful brood has stashed the most bazillions of Benjamins? That's hard to say. Here's your question today, trivia heads. Which member of the Kardashian family has the highest net worth? I'll be back with your answer right after this. Well, people that know me know that I enjoy talking about Acre Trader, mostly because I enjoy talking with the people at Acre Trader. I don't know what it is about farmland. Maybe it's getting back to my roots in West Michigan, where I worked in like every field imaginable, or it's the fact that I get this investment and clearly not right for everybody, but let's explain how it works so that you know whether it's right for you. When I first heard about Acre Trader, I thought that you were going to be a farmer. And I thought, what a horrible idea. But the cool news is, is that when you work with Acre Trader, you're not a farmer, you just own farmland. Now, number one, there's less farmland every year. That means that historically, the value of farmland over long periods of time has steadily increased. And by the way, farmland hasn't experienced many of the gyrations that commercial and residential real estate have seen. Doesn't mean it can't go down, but definitely when you look at farmland, a whole different and largely boring cycle. And I mean boring in a, in a very good way. You get some passive income every year from your farmland because here's how it works. Instead of having to go and buy a whole field, and who can afford that? Instead, Acre Trader purchases the field, they subdivide it, and you become a partial investor in that field, which means now this asset class that's been largely unavailable for people, available to a lot of us. Every year before the crops go in, Acre Trader gets the rent from the farmer. A portion of that rent then goes to you. Acre Trader takes care of working with the farmer, making sure the soil is sustainable and that field's in great shape. And that when it comes time, they sell the field. So you also get your return of principal. If it sounds like something that is for you, there's still more to know. So head to acretrader.com forward slash SB for more information on how to become a farmland investor through AcreTrader. acretrader.com forward slash SB. Welcome back, influencers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You knew that. You've been waiting for me this whole time. And you're listening to the amazing sounds of both my voice and my trivia. So anyway, uh, while Joe was babbling about something or other, who knows what it was this time, I just watched a few clips of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Gotta say, I am so upset with OG this morning. He sat down two venti cups of coffee. I thought, well, that's pretty nice of him. But when I, I go to reach for one, he swats my hand away. He says they were both for him. <sighs> How am I going to deal with that diva? Let's get you to the trivia answer, shall we? Before the break, I asked you this question. Which member of the Kardashian family has the highest net worth? The answer, Kylie Jenner. Well, it seems like between appearances on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, her paid Instagram posts, and her personal cosmetic line, the 21-year-old has not only already become the richest in her family, but she's a bajillionaire. Okay, billionaire, that's the real word for it, but I'm calling her a bajillionaire. It's nice to see that I'm not the only millennial working hard, right? Am I right? See ya. 
A billion dollars, OG, you can't live on it, but it's a nice start. It's pretty impressive, though. 21 years old and a billionaire. Mm-hmm. What's the over-under on net worth at 31? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yes. Is it $2 billion or is it like $32 million? And just looking at the way the Kardashians work, like maintain that brand. By the way, not for me at all. That's not speaking to you? Totally doesn't speak to me. <laughs> but I have to say, I've watched a couple episodes, and what fascinates me is not all the drama crap that happens, but how attentive they are yeah. to building that brand yeah. and maintaining their brand. So I don't know. If at 21 she has a billion dollars and she works her butt off now, it seems it seems to have nothing to do with money, right? She could fire She's fired already. She could fire today if she wanted to. As long as she can as long as she can live on something less than eh, give or take thirty and a half million dollars a month for the rest of her life plus yeah. inflation. Wouldn't that be tough? It's you know thirty million a month. No, three and a half million. Three and a half million a month. Whatever. Yeah. Thirty million, that'd be pretty easy to live on. Right. Three and a half. Eh, could, have to make some cuts. Could <laughs> can you can you see that? I think you gotta cut back, Kylie. Yeah, shoot! I spent one hundred and fifty thousand today. I'm a little over budget. <laughs> Tomorrow I can only spend seventy five hey, thousand dollars <laughs> in one day, and I would never run out of money. For those of you that don't have a billion dollars, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. We'll tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency—they put what you value first. Since it's almost Halloween, I'm going to go uh, candy corn and candy apples at the same time. Oh, put them in your mouth at the same time, yeah. like wine and chocolate, uh, candy corn, sure. and candy apple. Yeah. All mix, all mix so together. Candy corns are terrible. But. Uh, I was thinking the same thing. Your loved ones and your time actually are that, but loved ones, time, candy corn, and candy apples. Make little faces on your candy apples with your candy corns. If you wanted your family to be the next Kylie Jenner, but not have to work hard after you pass away, I wonder how much a billion dollar life insurance death benefit would cost per month. I thought we talked about this before about thinking in terms of like the power of compounding. So I'll summarize this. I I have three kids. I was thinking if my three kids had three kids and their three kids had three kids, that would be 27 great grandchildren. If I wanted to provide them just a crazy awesome retirement, how much money would that be in today's dollars? And I figured, again, it's tough to live on, but you could make a start with 25,000 a month. In retirement, I figured in today's dollars, you could probably make that work. So I figured, okay, I did the math of like how many years into the future is this? It's about 110. And how much is this lump sum? So in 110 years from now, I've got to fund in today's dollars, 300,000 a year for 27 people. To make your whole family financially independent. Correct. So how much is it? To fire the whole family. Seven and a half billion dollars. Perfect. Just a pocket change to a guy like you, I know, but for the rest of us- you know, we've got to work on it. The question is, I've got 110 years to get there. How much do I have to set aside today to get seven and a half billion dollars in 110 years? It's a fun present value calculation. Yeah. What's the first number you think of? <laughs> oh, you are you did the math. Yeah. Yes. What do you um, think? Oh man. I mean, being on the spot, I'm just gonna throw out a number. Somewhere, let's say like twenty million dollars. It's under two hundred thousand. Really? Depending, you know, you can play with the yeah, rate sure. of return and that sort of stuff. Yes, yeah, so if you only get a 17% rate of return. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's less than that. But my point is, is that, you know, when you're thinking about life insurance from a estate planning standpoint 
And if you can set the legal documents up and the legal structure correctly, a relatively small amount of money, if you can keep it protected for a long time, turns into a whole bunch of money for a whole bunch of people later. Cha-ching. So Everybody- I didn't do any of this stuff. I just worked on it in my head. <laughs> That's right. Well, guess what? If you go to Haven Life to do that, they've made buying it really simple. OG, you can head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now and you get a free quote. And their application, super simple. It's online. They avoid a ton of those questions. If you've ever applied for term life insurance with somebody sitting across the table from you, you know what I'm talking about. Much simpler. It's all online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. And through Mass Mutual, who's more than 160 years old. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Trent. Say hi, Trent. Hi, OG. Curious. Uh, how much you had to increase your life insurance for your wife to be okay for you to fly a plane. It's a bucket list item for me that my wife hasn't approved. So maybe I'm just underfunded in my insurance, but more importantly, I'm hoping you can help me frame the way I look at leverage specifically with respect to rental properties. So I'm a realtor in Indiana, low cost of living wife and I are 31. Uh, We have a 10 month old uh, plan on having a second child in the next couple of years. We live well below our means our retirement accounts are north of 230000 College savings is north of 10000 Equity in real estate conservatively is 300000 uh, 300, Our only debt is mortgage debt. It's about 620000 So our debt to equity is about 67%. Wife makes about fifty. I make about one fifty. Um, I maintain cash reserves between thirty five and 50000 mostly in high-yield savings. So how should I be thinking about leverage? I currently have three rentals, four tenants, and would love to increase that to 10 rentals um, over the next couple of years. Even though all my properties cash flow when I purchase, I don't want to become over leveraged. So what is over leveraged? Should I increase my cash reserves by a certain amount when I buy a new rental? I personally manage the rentals and enjoy management. My goal is to hit, uh, for us to hit financial independence in our 30s so money's never an issue but work through our 50s. I want to go on a shopping spree. Thanks. That's a really good question, Trent, about the life insurance and airplanes. The other questions were kind of stupid. But um, <laughs> I call him, call him like I see him. You just <laughs> you weren't paying attention to me, so I had to get you back. I had to get, I had to get you, you back. Totally, totally caught me with that one. Yeah. Um, so that one's actually the easy one. When it comes to insurance, you cannot tell a lie. So, you know, if you're a pilot, you have to tell them you're a pilot. If you're thinking about being a pilot, I would not tell them that you're thinking about it unless you're actually started to do it, right? So, like, there's a difference between being a student pilot and a pilot and an actual person on the sidelines going, one day I'd like to. As I understand it, I've not tried to get more insurance since learning to fly, but I also understand that it will be very, very costly. So all of that was taken care of long ago when we had our last kid. So I feel from a financial and estate planning standpoint, we were we were good to go regardless of the activities that I found myself doing. In the future, I know that there are other there are companies out there that specialize in different things. There's companies out there that specialize in people who like to smoke cigars and they don't call them smokers, whereas other companies would call them smokers, for example. So there's also aviation Uh, insurance firms out there that specialize in pilots, and they're going to take a more detailed look at your pilot history and logbook and that sort of stuff, rather than just a blanket like, oh, you're a pilot, we write you this instead. So I would encourage you to do it. I love it. I talk about it almost every single day. You? Yeah, me, believe it or not. Yeah. I know. It's hard to to believe. But um, 
you know, better to beg for forgiveness than ask permission, Trent. So go get your license and then go, hey, honey, look what I did. Just kidding. Make sure your wife's on board. Mine is. She loves it. Well, and what I and what I like, and actually, you know, Trent, to go back to the to the Haven Life site, they have my favorite calculator, by the way, for figuring out what the right, right. amount would be. So, um, no matter where you're going to buy insurance from, I would go to Haven Life and check out their calculator because insurance is a range, mm-hmm. not a, a fixed number. There's too many numbers that blow in the wind, but they will give you the entire range of where you should be. And uh, I would work with that calculator to figure it out as well. Yeah, that's where I would start. And like I said, from a flying standpoint, if you're serious about it, take all that off your plate prior to learning how to fly because it will get costly in a hurry. The other question that you had around leverage and that sort of thing is really going to be a personal decision. There's certainly a lot of people out there who say, hey, leverage it up to the hilt. If the bank's going to give you 98% of equity or you know loan to value, do it because it's other people's money. The problem that I have with that is I think you got to look at worst case scenario. I think you have to look and say, true, but what happens if this place is vacant for a while? What happens if the prices or home values in this area go down by 20 or 30%. I mean, this would be no different than you would do any exercise, some contingency planning, like a SWOT analysis, if you ran a business and said, what happens if my business is down 20% year over year? What would I do? Because you want to have that plan in place long before it actually happens. The fact that it's cash flowing collectively is a good thing. Maybe each property is cash flowing collect, you know, individually, which would be great too. I know for the ones that we have, there's some months that are good, some months that aren't good, but we try to keep a real, relatively low amount of leverage also. The older I get, the more I'm committed to just not owe anybody any money, regardless of the fancy math behind it of like, oh, it's other people's money. Yeah. But if I don't owe anybody any money, to borrow a phrase from Steve Stewart, no debt, no problems. No so. debt, no problem. Yeah. There's a big piece of this, which is looking at what could go wrong first. And I think about engineers about how they do that. A lot of uh, friends of mine that are engineers say whenever they look at a project, first thing they do is see what could go wrong. Thanks for the question, Trent. You got a question for the show? Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail and you too can uh, hear OG put down your question. Talk about airplanes. <laughs> right? Talk, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did, did you see my eyes roll when he's like airplane? Oh, man. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that's going to do it for today, OG. Thanks, everybody, by the way, for taking the time to hang out with us. Got to say a big thanks uh, to all our friends in Boston who came out at the last minute. We had 11 stackers come out on, uh, what, 48 hours notice. And there was a lot going on that night. There was a Patriots game. Uh, Stephen King was in town. I think Carrie Underwood was in town. There was a bunch of other stuff going on. And and we still had such a fun time. So thanks to everybody who uh, who hung out and uh, just my kind of people, my kind of people, OG. Thanks also to everybody who's given us a review of, of this show. We've had quite a few reviews lately, and I'm always thankful to see another one show up. Mom's got this one on her refrigerator right now. Informative and hilarious. Five stars from J-Dubs. Uh, J-Dubs writes, these gentlemen do an awesome job of forming their listeners all while entertaining with hilarity. Both the primary host, Joe and OG, deserve high praise for simplifying things and helping listeners formulate the best long-term mentality for creating wealth. On a more subjective personal note, I'd be interested to see if this show's listeners be interested in having guests of a more technical nature. 
last but not least, I'd like to leave a funny voicemail for the creators of this year podcast with some questions, but I don't need another t-shirt. Don't want to make my investment advisor jealous if he sees I'm wearing it. Ha. Well, a couple things. Number one, bring it, bring it J dubs. And when Gertrude gives you the code, just say, don't need a code. Just wanted to share. That would be fine. Second thing is, you know, it's funny. We do have a section of our audience that likes more technical stuff. And I'll tell you the way that I view the show. I view Stacking Benjamins as an airport. We curate lots of people who I feel like are are intelligent thought leaders in their field, like uh, Chad was today, or any of the other guests. These are people that that we respect with missions that we appreciate. And my goal is to introduce you to these people. And if you want to go into depth, then jump in. But we definitely want to be the place where people start. And for that reason, getting into more esoteric financial planning concepts, not something that we do. And they say this, no matter what you do, stick with what you're good at. And so we definitely have guardrails on the show. Not that I don't like going into depth. I definitely do. But I do know that in the past eight years of doing the show, OG, whenever we get too much in depth, you can feel it in the show. You can see it in the numbers. It's not what we do really well. But I am glad you brought that up because you're definitely not the first person to wonder that. And um, glad I could address that. Also, finally, if you're somebody who needs good financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG, and uh, you'll be able to set things up so that 2020 will be a great year for you and your money. All right, that's going to do it. Take it from your Doug. What should we have learned today? Yeah, sure thing, Joe. I'll clean up this giant mess you seem to have made, and I'll uh, boil it all down for everybody in a nice, concise fashion. First, take a lesson from our conversation with Chad. While the retirement and savings landscape may keep changing, the rules around a sound retirement have not. Save, budget, and invest wisely, and you'll see yourself to retirement no matter what else is going on. Second, thinking about retirement? Think about income streams. Where is your money going to come from? But the big lesson? Maybe doing these confessionals in a spot where everybody can hear them isn't the best strategy. The earmuffs, OG! Earmuffs! God! Special thanks to Chad Parks for stopping by the basement today. You can find more from Chad at his company's site, myubiquity.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the After Show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. OG referenced Texas Lawhawk earlier. Let's uh, let's listen. Brian Wilson, Texas Lawhawk, Talons of Justice. Brian Wilson, the Texas Lawhawk. Hunger for justice. Brian Wilson, the Texas Lawhawk. Playing hungry, hungry hippos. No, it's complaint. Open up, or everyone's going to jail. Doesn't he need a warrant? Y'all got five. I don't know. Four. Three. Someone just called me. Two. You know you need a warrant for that. Know your rights. Call Brian Wilson, the Texas Lawhawk, today. Brian Wilson. The t- <laughs> Have you or a loved one been arrested? If so, call Brian Wilson, the Texas Lawhawk, today. Brian Wilson, Texas Lawhawk. We just gave him a giant commercial. <laughs> There's one in there where he's got like a little guy sitting inside of a uh, box spitting out breathalyzer results. <laughs> and the dude that's stuffed inside the box... Like, just spits out, fail. He's, like, just handing him out to the officer. And the officer's like, nope, you failed. Uh, so look up uh, Texas Lawhawk on... Uh, yes. Yeah, so great. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military and let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend og who spent time in the military of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh, mr surly navy federal offers member only exclusive rates discounts and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals visit navyfederal.org celebrate and you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.